Hello everybody, welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 9, issue 422, and we're going to talk about two games, both of them blood-stained. That is Curse of the Moon and Ritual of the Night, the aperitif and the main course. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 422 are Brian Edwards. Hello. John Salmon. Hello. And Leah Haydu. You know, I really wanted to be Team Whip, but I just, I, I don't like the mm. wind-up on it, so Team Sword, team I guess. Team Sword. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Agreed. We'll talk about our weapon choices and loadout selections later on. So I thought what we'd do in this show is rather than talk all about Curse of the Moon and then all about Ritual of the Night, we'll actually kind of mix it all together uh, and talk about aspects of both as we go along. It's interesting, actually, that although the length of time it might take you to play Ritual of the Night is, for me, it was probably four times, four to five times as long as it took me to play Curse of the Moon. I think we've actually got at least as much, if not more, correspondence about Curse of the Moon, Hmm. uh, even though it was the stretch goal. But what is Bloodstained, listener, you may ask? Uh, I mentioned this, we were doing this show to a friend of the show, Ben Cartledge, this weekend, and he said, I have no idea what that is. So, in case you missed it, it is an Egervania. All right, moving on. Everybody knows what that is. (laughs) (laughs) The education ends here. Uh, It is, according to IMDb Trivia, a gothic exploration-focused action platformer designed by one of the godfathers of the genre. Unlike a Metroidvania, the Egervania are more based on the concept of RPG elements, grinding and exploration rather than blasting enemies into bits. Also, the name Egervania was picked not to step into Nintendo licensed territory. I'm not sure if that's Uh, accurate. It's not entirely self-serving then <laughs> well I, i'm not sure he did it himself i don't know uh koji igarashi being the man uh who set up the kickstarter presumably in after conversations with a lot of other people his message on the original kickstarter which uh, the page is still up there for all to see eager here many years have passed but it's finally time we meet again with your help i hope to create a new game built on some of the classic gaming principles my works are known for Thank you for your support. I look forward to leading you in my army of the night. The Kickstarter went well. 64,867 backers pledged five and a half million dollars plus to help bring the project to life, which is quite something. But we must remember that five million dollars is in the grand scheme of Video game development costs still not all that much. I'll issue a spoiler warning, although how much we're going to talk about the plot remains to be seen. But just in case, the game's name, Bloodstained, is based around the concept of Magi Crystal Curse, a Magi Crystal Curse that inflicts the main characters. They grow across the person's body with the appearance of stained glass. And Igarashi felt that Bloodstained was a good play on words to reflect that. While the title is thematically based around the gothic theme, like Castlevania, Igarashi didn't want to incorporate the public domain character of Dracula into it, feeling it would make the game too close to previous Castlevania titles and didn't want to make his new game feel like a, quote, half-baked copy, according to Wikipedia. So Curse of the Moon was a stretch goal. Uh, where I did actually have the figure for how much of a stretch goal that was. It was a, it was a significant chunk of money that they had to raise before they met that. I think it was actually just described as 8-bit minigame in the in the original uh, stretch goal description. But um, yeah, I think it was in the millions of dollars. So one of the developers behind the full uh, Ritual of the Night game, Inti Creates, 
were solely responsible for Curse of the Moon. And the director is Hiroki uh, Miyazawa, who's pre previously worked on the uh, Gun Vault series, which I know hmm. very little about. It's uh, well, I, I haven't played very much of it, but um, I, I it's more along a Mega Man Mega lines Man. than yes. uh, than like a Castlevania right. uh, type game and, from from what I know. Yeah. Which figures because Inti Creates have been in and around Mega Man for a very, very long mm. time working on those games. Uh, Igarashi is a producer on Curse of the Moon and wrote the story. And that one was released ahead of Ritual of the Night in May 2018 on PC and Switch and PS4 and Xbox One, but also 3DS and Vita. Those versions of that prequel actually came out unlike the finished game, uh, the finished game, the full game, the big game. Um, but it reviewed well for a, a little precursor advert stretch goal. It's got an 80% review score on Open Critic with 81% of critics recommending it from 27 reviews. Dusk versus Tweak from our forum says, Curse of the Moon was my favourite game of 2018. I know we're in no shortage of retro pixel games, but when one like Curse of the Moon shows up and nails its mission so expertly, it really stands out. I played it on both difficulties, one night after the other, and it was a blast both times. It's got the spirit of those older Castlevanias without the NES difficulty. Aesthetically, it's a vivid and gorgeous game to play, with my favourite level being the pirate ship during the stormy night. We'll talk more about Curse of the Moon. But Ritual of the Night, so the developer is credited as Art Play, which, as far as I can ascertain, it's kind of a super group of developers, and they roped various people in along the way, so it's a combination of members of Inti Creates, Deco or Dico, uh, Monobit and Way Forward were roped in uh, at some point towards the end of 2018, another sort of 2D and Metroidvania game expert. 505 Games actually published this one. Interestingly, it was actually directed not by Igarashi, who again is credited as producer, but the name that you just don't really hear is uh, Shutaro Ida, I think. Uh, who was actually the director for a, a Castlevania game himself, Castlevania Harmony of Despair, which was the, I don't know if anyone remembers it, but it was a 2010 downloadable for PS3 and Xbox Live mm. Arcade. Yeah. It was a kind of yeah, odd I've one. Yeah, I played that. Yeah. It was sort it's of co-op co based. Yeah, it's a weird like online, imagine like instances or something from an MMO. It's a bit like right. that. Mm -hmm. You get a group of people together and play through like a, a cut down section of a castle that That's always right. ends in a boss. Yeah, so curious one. Uh, and yeah, that came out in the end. It was an Unreal Engine 4 game. Came out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One on 18th of June 2019, around about a year ago. The Switch version followed a week later and there was quite a lot of talk about how much of a... That was converted by another developer, I believe. I haven't got the name to hand, but it was quite a downgrade technically speaking they have since done quite a lot of work on it to bring it up closer to the standard of the other versions but i believe it's still lagging behind a bit uh, and similarly to ukulele another crowdfunded spiritual successor game uh, launched around the same time wii u version was planned because of when it was launched and ultimately scrapped in favor of the switch version I think also the Vita version. Yeah, there was there originally were... supposed to be a Vita version, but it was uh, completely just trashed. And I, I believe, 
uh, I believe that if you had contributed to the Kickstarter expecting mm-hmm. to get a Vita version, you had the option to, if you wanted, to switch to a different version of the game. Or I, I, I guess they would have just given you your. Well, I don't, I don't know if they would have given. They you did your, do refunds. Yeah. Did yeah. they? Okay. Yeah. Yes, you're you're quite right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah. Uh, switch switch or get a refund. I imagine uh-huh. many many Vita owners would have had access to a PS4 at least, if not one of the other machines that they could have played it on. Sure. The Walking Dad from the forum says, Ritual of the Night ended up being one of my most memorable gaming experiences of last year, 2019, in spite of the fact that, A, I completely forgot I'd backed it for over a year, and B, I played the lesser version of the game on Switch. The week before it released, I found myself scrambling to find backer information and claim codes because of how enticing the game had become. And when it released, I burned through its multiple endings and much of the highly enjoyable post-game before immediately starting a new Game Plus file that I've been chipping away at ever since. The greatest hits, Nature of Bloodstained, with its shard collecting mechanic and side missions and even cooking quests, coalesce into a package that finally made me fall completely in love with 2D Metroidvanias after years of preferring 3D counterparts. Cheers for a Kickstarter that lived up to its potential, and here's hoping the team has a few more adventures up their sleeve. Again, the reviews for Ritual of the Night, again, especially if you compare to something like Mighty Number no. 9, were extremely positive with uh, an 83% average among 127 critics, with 89% of them recommending that you play this game. Now, my next question is to explore our histories of the game. Do we have any backers? No. <laughs> Not personally, but no. I got it because the, the guy that I game share with on Xbox backed it. Okay. So half, <laughs> yeah. but not really. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you can go first then, John. So you got this early then, presumably. Uh, I can't remember if it, did it, re- uh, did it release earlier than the standard release for Kickstarter backers? I don't really remember the exact details so. about there's the no launch. Me- there's no mention of that on uh, Wikipedia or anything. The Curse of the Moon, I remember that appearing on my, um, my like, Xbox downloads list. And yeah. I remember downloading that and then... That one of the weird things about that was it popped up fairly quickly, like before the um, before Ritual of the Night also was released. Uh, Curse of the Moon was then given away on Games with Gold. Yes. So I'd assume that a lot of people that was probably their first um, first time to get it. Yeah. Uh, I was I was kind of quite interested in both games um, before they were released, uh, and I ended up finally playing Curse of the Moon about the time that Ritual of the Night came out because when Ritual of the Night came out. There were tons and tons of comments about, oh, you should probably wait until they patch this to play it, even on the the Switch version was the one that was apparently really bad. But the Xbox, PS4, I don't know, other versions were both apparently plagued with crashes and game-breaking mm-hmm. bugs and things like that. So when it, when that came out, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll wait until they patch this. It can't be too long. So I played Curse of the Moon at that point instead. Um and then Ritual of the Night was always something that sort of sat in the back of my head thinking, oh, there'll be news about patches. It'll be it'll be good finally. And that hadn't really happened before the end of the year. And then when the Kane and Rint schedule was announced, released, whatever you want to say, um, then that's like, well, there's my, my time to play it will be before the thing comes out because otherwise I'll have to replay it and I probably don't want to do too many replays of certain things. Uh, so, yeah, I did Curse of the Moon about a year ago and ritual of the night maybe a month ago 
uh, and pretty, I mean, spent a lot of time with each of them. Um, was it Walking Dead mentioned playing through the um, Curse of the Moon multiple times to see all the different endings? Uh, I, or maybe he was talking about Ritual of the Night, actually, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I did play Curse of the Moon six or seven times to see all of the the different endings, which basically yeah. turned out to be a little bit pointless. And they were all they were all more sort of challenge modes of the game, playing it with with less powers and less backup behind you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then Bloodstained, the Ritual of the Night was pretty much. I just sat down for about six days and played it through its entirety. And yeah, there we are. That's about it. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the stretch goals, uh, or what, sorry, one of the uh, backing tiers, I should say, was uh, to pay $1,600 to have your picture in the game. And there was one room I entered, and uh, there was a woman in there wearing glasses. And I thought for a moment, I know what Leah's like with her money and her <laughs> games. Uh, and there's also a Leah credited in one of the audio clips in the that you unlock at the end as well. But I'm guessing it's not actually you because you might it have mentioned not. it. Yeah? No, I I would have said something uh, about <laughs> about that. Um, it 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 was not me. I, I uh, actually I have never backed a Kickstarter. Um, not necessarily because I'm opposed to them. I just haven't really felt yeah, strongly yeah. enough about it to kind sure. of because i mean they, they they tell you and a lot of people don't listen to this but they tell you you know kickstarter is not a guarantee of something happening it is or anything good happening no, <laughs> no. Uh, exactly so i i don't know i as you as you have sort of alluded to i'm willing to spend money on things that i like for sure um in in, in particular games that i like but um i yeah so far uh i have not it it would take something pretty significant, I think, for me to yes. uh, to to commit to it. Uh, but yeah, I I did um I did play uh curse. I'm gonna mix these up the entire time. I did play Curse of the Moon first. I played it uh, right around or maybe slightly before uh, Ritual of the Night came out. Um, it wasn't it wasn't super early, but uh, I played both of them on PS4. And then mm-hmm. um, once Ritual of the Night did come out, I played it actually as one of, um, so I have a, an, an exercise bike um, and I am pretty, um, I, I try to be pretty consistent about using it, uh, but I don't, I am not a, um, a, you know, bear down and and get every last ounce you can out of it. It's, it's more of a, you know, I do this for an hour a couple of times a week. And usually what I will do is, Keep uh, moving. Yeah. yeah, I will play a video game while I am, while I am riding the bike. Um, I, Bicyclevania. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, uh, it, and, and I mean, it depends. Not all games are good for this, right? It, no. it kind of has to be something that will uh, that will keep me uh, keep me motivated and keep me interested, but also not be something that I have to think super hard about or solve puzzles yes. or anything like that. Um, because then I'm paying too much attention to the game and not enough attention. Your legs to, stop uh, going. To continuing yep. to make my move, my, make <laughs> myself move. Um, so this was one of the first games that I uh, that I played almost in its entirety uh, on my bike. <laughs> um, towards the end, I think it was. I, I I'm not 100 percent sure about this. I know I streamed some of the ending, and I think that it was when. Yeah. Um, I think that it was when uh, we were doing uh, Elaine. My my uh, my. Uh, best friend Elaine, who I do a lot of streaming with, uh, or did before everything, you know, kind of 
uh, made that very difficult. But um, we, I think, were doing uh, an extra live stream when I finished the game and got to, I guess, what the uh, the the true ending is considered to be. There are several endings, which I'm sure we'll uh, yep. several endings to both games, um, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in more detail. But um, I I know that I got to the true ending on a stream. Um, but most of it before that was played uh, on my bike. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have an association there. Um, I have not gone through to do a um, a second playthrough, a new game plus yet. Uh, but I, I think that I would like to because I'm pretty close to getting all the trophies. Uh, not yeah. super close. But most of the ones that I have left are kind of grindy. So, um, yeah. which I'm not opposed to at all. Um, I, I have spent... M- large chunks of the past couple of days playing an awful lot of triple triad in final fantasy VIII, so <laughs> not <that>. opposed <laughs> to uh to grindy stuff but um I, it's just something that you know with a lot of games i just haven't gotten around to uh that particular path yet but uh yeah so have played um have played both uh and both on the ps4 hmm. brian you a backer uh, no, not a backer. Um, I likely, uh, for no reason in particular, haven't backed anything on Kickstarter uh, before. Um, but I did kind of have this game on my radar. Like a lot of people, there was a lot of talk about it um, leading up to the release. Obviously, a very successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, but by the time this game came out, I was really not in the mood for another Metroidvania. Um, just just because I had played a ton of them. Like, I, I think I would recently played through all of like Guacamelee 2, which I loved, and Dandara, which I loved. And, and I was just kind of like just needed a break from it so i wasn't planning on a day one purchase or anything and so curse of the moon came out and i and i believe that was on game pass um when it first came out and um i didn't play through that and then the game came out and was getting really good reviews a lot of people were talking about it and i so so basically the thing that i've noticed is that if i buy a video game you can guarantee that within four to six weeks it will be on game pass so I bought, <laughs> yeah. I bought, um, I bought, bought <laughs> Bloodstained. Not buying any video games. Yeah, exactly. So I, I bought Bloodstained and uh, because I bought into the hype and I played through it in the better part of a week and a half, maybe two weeks, um, just kind of ate it up. And then I got announced uh, for Game Pass the next week um, that it was coming out. Um, Ryan's which was stalking which, you. Yes, exactly. But it was, you know, it's, it's funny because it was nice because I got to recommend it to a bunch of people. Um, it was a good chance for a lot of people to get their hands on the game. Um, but I played through that completely without having touched Curse of the Moon. Um, so I played through that once. I played it about halfway through again in preparation for the show. And uh, I just played Curse of the Moon for the first time this past week. Um, I ended up playing through it twice um, just to kind of see a couple different things. So it was definitely not an early adopter, but um, I'm really glad I went back and, and played Curse of the Moon. I probably wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for this this show and kind of I'm disappointed I didn't play it first now after having seen it, but we can kind of talk oh. about that later. So okay. Yeah, having done the same thing, is it not really wild playing Curse of the Moon again after playing Ritual yeah. of the Night and just seeing these are all the same characters and yep. a lot of the yeah. same enemies and most of the bosses are in both games. Yeah, yeah. It very much feels like a sort of, you know, 25 30 years ago when you'd get a game on the on the SNES and there'd be a Game Boy version of the same thing that would be a <laughs> yeah. like just a cut down version and this kind of felt like the same sort of thing to me. Absolutely and and I know we'll talk like, about it later but the, the hearing the the music tracks that I knew so well from Bloodstained kind of 8-bit versions of those was was really I, that was fascinating. I, I absolutely loved yeah. the soundtrack but we'll talk about that later. But uh but yeah no it was a really interesting perspective. I um 
it kind of it made I well <laughs> I'm just getting further down the line but it made me care care about the characters more honestly in the in in Curse of the Moon as opposed to actual Ritual of the Night but we will talk about all of that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, John mentioned the fact that uh, Curse of the Moon came to Games with Gold and I am incredibly diligent about adding every free or subscription game to my account but somehow i messed up with this one and i didn't so i should have had it but i ended up having to buy it to play it for the show which was slightly annoying but it was wasn't too expensive uh and i played that i guess a couple of weeks ago completed it um just just the the regular once uh ending but i did play it on the veteran mode we'll talk about the differences uh and Bloodstained, I haven't even bought. I've got it. Uh, Ritual of the Night, I should say. I've just got it on Game Pass. That's how I played it on the Xbox One X. Has it also uh, been on um, uh, the PlayStation um, service that I'm like not able now? to? Yeah. Now? Now? Uh, uh, or um, Plus. Plus, uh, either one. Has no, it been on? It hasn't been on, it hasn't been on Plus. Mm. I don't know about now. The streaming one, not sure. Just but yes. curious. I bought a disc version because I'm oh I'm that guy, I guess. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, there we should say there were a lot of ways of buying this. Mm. Uh, you could back this game from five dollars and not even get a copy. Just thanks. Uh, you have my thanks from eager. Uh, Twenty eight dollars for a digital copy, and then sixty dollars, a hundred dollars, one hundred twenty five dollars, one hundred fifty dollars, one hundred seventy five, two hundred fifty, three hundred. and so on, Um, all the way up to a $1,000 version uh, with all with different gubbins, you know. Didn't you say $1,600 to get your face in the game? Yeah, I assume you also get a copy of the game if you pay $1,600, yeah. Ah, right, these are just the ones that get you the game. Yes, those are are just the the actual sort of sets, uh, yeah, collector's sets and boxes. But yes, it goes goes a lot higher. There were stained glass panels for $2,500. Oh, and... My, <laughs> I'm very. I have very mixed feelings about this. Quite early in the game, you'll notice that some of the larger enemies in the halls of the castle of Ritual of the Night are just cats and dogs, oh, and yeah. and that's because people paid to have their pets in the game. So, <laughs> so on one yeah. hand, that's uh, awesome, you know. But yeah. on the other hand, you're killing them. So, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, there and there are people the dogs who is also just a head, yeah, on a chain. <laughs> there are there are also people we should say who um, I this might only be one person, but I think that there are multiple um, who did I guess the the sixteen hundred dollar tier uh, for the yep. portrait, but had yes. their cat's portrait instead. I like that more. That's I right. think, than having them actually be an enemy. Yeah, it actually cost Random you twice as much because they were, th- yeah, three D modeled and all that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I sort of I have mixed feelings about it because obviously it's they needed a lot of money to make this game, and these were ways of raising that money. But also, it's kind of it's almost a bit like some kind of weird art versus commerce thing that's right in your face when you're seeing a big old you know rendering of some punter's cat yeah. <laughs> as an enemy I think in the that game. Fit, though, uh, honestly, I, I think that they they've did always pretty, had silly enemies. This game, yeah, so. it, it, I think that they did a pretty decent job of. I, I mean, yes, the story behind it is pretty ridiculous, but I, I I don't think that having a giant cat that can summon tornadoes and has horns and stuff is really that out of the it's ordinary out of place. for. You're right. Uh, for a game like this. I yeah, think it was just more kind of striking that you would kind of be going down a hallway and fighting like these demons and these other monsters and then you just <laughs> you open up the door and there's just this like like 
pretty photorealistic cat that just pops up with these horns on. Yeah. Like it was like the 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 like the the nature of that like like it kind of like w- didn't fit with the rest of the art style. And normally, I feel like I'd be annoyed by that, but it just brought me nothing but joy every time I saw one of those in this game for whatever reason. So it's not an especially serious game. I, there's, <laughs> no. there's a lot of goofy stuff that you can do, and not Absolutely. all of it is related to the Kickstarters. Like some of the the armor and accessories that you can yeah. get. And yeah. some of the side quests that you can get, that one lady who always screams, kill those murderers dead. And, you know, that it's, uh, it's, it. Yeah, this like names and stuff sure. that she gives you that it's like, oh, this is definitely a person. Why am I going to, you know, I'm going to, um, I think most of them are actually characters avenge, from like, Justin or something like that. Yes. Yeah. I if mean, not all, the... it might be, it might be all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the earlier games in the series were not intended to be so goofy, but of course, sure. from from Symphony of the Night came out. I think they always had an element of humor. Loads of Konami games did back in the 80s and 90s. Actually, they were often, you know, they often had cutesy bits. We talked about Gradius recently, but I think because of they the, often hit it more than than, than uh, yeah. Bloodstained does. And the epic and legendary speech from Symphony of the Night, I think, informed a lot of the silliness in this <laughs> game. Uh, Yes, and even beyond the three and a half thousand, have your pet in. You could actually design a, a demon for the game for five thousand dollars. Is that where the um, Playboy Bunny cocktail waitresses come from? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> no, maybe they were straight from Eager's mind, yeah, maybe. or the, or the, or the, Japanese or the art lead. Uh, and yes, there was also you could get yourself a ring, a literal physical metal ring crafted by Eager himself for seven and a half thousand dollars. Eight and a half thousand dollars got you a secret room in the game that you could create. And yeah, uh, you could actually, for $10,000, you could meet up with uh, Igarashi himself and uh, have dinner and stream with him and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, there's a really complicated diagram breaking down all the options, Uh, but it worked. They got five and a half million dollars and made a game that reviewed well. Did we like it though? That's another question. So I've been playing Ritual of the Night the last couple of weeks. Finished it last night, uh, about 21 hours and 98.7% of the map completed. Um, but still about 30% of the shards I haven't got mm. and haven't seen all the demons and yeah, stuff. Like quest completion and stuff, it's, yeah, yeah it like goes 60%. up a lot. Yeah. Uh, so yes, the story and the writing, we've already talked about the fact that it, this is not a Dracula game. It could have been Castlevania is originally Akumajo Dracula in Japan. It is that is the legend. Uh, even though Dracula was invented by an author, it is well beyond the, uh, the 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 time beyond which copyright is no longer relevant. So Dracula is indeed a public domain character. So anyone can use Dracula, and certainly vampires are, are up for grabs. But they decided to not go with with Dracula and vampires. Even um, though they got, so, they did get pretty close. Uh, in, well, yeah, in there is. That's uh, true, locations. and there is one. There is literally one Dracul in there, um, but it's not the in the in the Castlevania. In generally in the Castlevania series, you were either a, a vampire or a vampire hunter, right? Whereas now you're a demon hunter. You're almost yeah. like the Witcher, in fact. Whether it's Zangetsu in the first game or or Miriam in the second, you're yeah, you're not. It's just like a different telling of of that tale, isn't it? The monster hunter yeah. person. It's- it's amazing how much of that visual language, though, of this game and just what we've known of, like, learned from video games since the 8-bit era, like, how much it just conveys Castlevania and, and Dracula and vampires. Because my wife was watching me play uh, the first half of this game 
uh, again over the, over the course of the last three weeks. She it would be on the TV, and she just asked me. She's like, "Oh, is this that one with the vampires?" I'm like, "Actually, there's mm-hmm. not really any vampires." And she's like, "Are you sure?" She's like, she, she was asking me, "Are you sure there's not vampires?" I'm like, "Yeah." It just she's like, "Oh," it, it, but she had seen me play it before. But she's familiar with the original Castlevanias and, and Symphony of the Night and things. So like, it, just that visual language can just can just put you in that place, even though it might not be using any of the fiction. Like, it still feels like that fiction. Does anyone wish that they'd gone with vampires and Dracula rather than the shard binders and demon hunters? Uh, I want to say not really, because for the most part, the gameplay and the things like the map and the way that everything's laid out and quests and stuff are all pretty much identical to how they would be if you imagine that they were going to make a, you know, a sequel or a remake of um, Symphony of the Night right now. But then obviously you've got other things like the, the shards that are added in because of the the differences between demon hunting and vampire hunting that arguably make it a much deeper gameplay. Yeah, so- but that mechanic comes from old Castlevanias as well. Like all the post-Symphony of the Night ones had something along those lines. So they managed to crowbar that into the vampire games as well. Uh, no comment. You can tell that I haven't played any newer <laughs> Castlevania game. Yeah, it's so like Aria of Sorrow, Dawn of Sorrow, uh, Order I of played, Ecclesia. I played the yeah some of the DS ones that had the paintings, but maybe not enough to remember the shard aspect of them. Yeah, Dawn of Sorrow um, was one that I really liked for that kind of reason, um, and maybe that's that's why um, why I kind of got stuck into this one uh, at the at the level mm. that I did. Uh, yeah, Dawn of Sorrow was you it, almost exactly the same thing. Actually, you you were you collected um, the the so- <laughs> you collected the souls of demons or the demon souls, if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, you 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 had to um, kind of uh, go from place to place, you know. And sometimes some of them had a more rare drop rate, uh, much like the shards in uh, in this game. So yeah, I I honestly hadn't thought about that, but. Um, Yes, it uh, it lines up quite nicely. I haven't played get, all of the newer ones, but that one specifically, yes. Can't get through one podcast without a Souls reference. It's just no, it's it's of there are some similarities, I would say. I would say that we could, uh, although uh, the uh, the forerunners of, of the Souls games were around concurrently with some Castlevanias, I suspect sure. that even they were influenced by earlier Vanias, mm-hmm. um, no doubt. So yeah, going back to the Curse of the Moon a little, because that doesn't have quite the same uh, system of shard binding as such, uh, because you play as Zangetsu, a demon slayer bearing a deep grudge who must travel through perilous lands to defeat a powerful demon lurking in a dark castle. Zangetsu will meet fellow fellow travellers along the way who can join your journey as playable characters, uh, including Miriam. Switching to these characters with their unique abilities will unlock new paths through the treacherous stages. Your choices in recruiting these adventurers will change the difficulty of the game and may even affect the ending. That's according to the PlayStation Store blurb. It will affect the ending. It definitely <laughs> Spoilers. does. Spoilers. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, so if we're going to be super reductive and say that uh, Ritual of the Night is you know, a sequel, remake, successor to Symphony of the Night... Then Curse of the Moon presumably is the same thing to maybe Castlevania Three. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Castlevania yeah. Three. Yes. Yep. Hundred percent. There you go. Well, that's that sorted then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Done Explain. and done. It is now <laughs> shortest now podcast canon. ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that it very much obviously takes its visual 
uh, clues from cues from NES games. But of course, if you actually tried to run this actual game on a vanilla NES, you would come a cropper because there's way too much detail on the screen and way too many sprites and no flicker and all that good stuff. But it absolutely visually evokes the the era and i think gameplay wise they absolutely nail the feel of those types of game mm-hmm. without perhaps yeah some of the frustration i mentioned before there's the difference between uh, veteran and casual difficulty the key difference is i think two one is that i don't think you have a number of lives on casual so you can just keep trying but the main one that will affect your moment to moment is the knockback yep. so classic castlevanias you take a hit, you go flying backwards, and oftentimes that will mean you'll either fall off the stage and lose a life or just fly back into something yeah. else and take yet more damage. So I found that, uh, as our previous correspondent said, the overall difficulty on the the standard setting was, uh, was even with the knockback on, was still quite doable, and it just gave it that little bit of extra. I've got to think about this next jump so I don't end up falling backwards into that hole because you could run out of lives and have to start the the whole world again i guess not the whole game again i don't know i don't, don't think i ever did run out of lives so i don't know how punishing it was i and i actually played on casual my first time through uh, I, did too. I was i was because i was playing it this past week and i wanted to make sure that i didn't like got through and saw the, the beats exactly so <laughs> yeah. um so i was playing on casual and i didn't like uh i knew it says right at the beginning like that you're gonna have infinite lives essentially and the only thing where i really saw that that affected my gameplay would be i i ended up w- having all four playable characters by the end and i forget is it alfred or gable i can't remember i think Gable, it's Gable, um, who can uh, turn into a bat and fly, yeah. you know? So so towards the end of the game, like, I, I was using him a lot because it was a lot easier with traversal, and eventually I would either, you know, fall off a ledger or get killed, and then I'd have the other three characters left, and I would be like, I'm just going to walk these three characters off a cliff and then re- and, and restart so I can play as, as Gable again so I can fly around. But um, um, So, yeah, that's why I ended up playing through a second time to kind of see what the... Like kind of the more like uh, I guess engineered for like the 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 regular playthrough, whatever you want to call that, the the as the developer intended or whatever you want to say. So um, the knockback for sure is a huge difference. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a uh, and it's it's been quite some time since I played Castlevania three, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that I've even finished Castlevania three. Um, but uh, I, I've watched enough playthroughs and played enough of it myself to know that. Um, I don't think that it's quite the same because you can only really carry one of your party members with you at any given time. Um, so you you have to like swap out. You you can't have you know four party members that you can swap between as you are uh, as you were playing through Castlevania three. Whereas in uh, in Bloodstained uh, Curse of the Moon you you do have access to all four of them and they don't share a health bar. So if you lose one of your characters, you keep going with the other three and, and yeah. so on and so forth until you lose everybody. And then, you know, you, you, as, as Brian was saying, you, you restart with all four, but makes some um, bits near impossible. Sorry, if you lose certain characters, doesn't yeah. it? The, yes. Yeah. It makes certain paths that you can travel through definitely impossible because I think yeah. Miriam has a, a higher jump than the That's other right. characters, and, and then and a slide. Gable yeah, can fly. Exactly, yeah. yeah, 
So some um, upgrade materials and, and different pathways are inaccessible depending <laughs> on which characters you've got access to. I always, yeah. the second time I played through, I always used Alfred as kind of my tank because I would never use him for traversal because he was always slow and couldn't really jump. But he had that sweet fire spell where the ring of fire would be running. So I would just mm. walk right into the center of the boss and just hit that spell and just let it spin around. And, and it's um, Jeebel who can turn into a bat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is uh, obviously handy. But yeah. Uh, Mr. Ixalite talking about Curse of the Moon says, as someone who prefers the classic Vanias to the later eager Vanias, I'm happy that the Bloodstained project also yielded a throwback to this era. And for the most part, Curse of the Moon is an enjoyable riff on Dracula's Curse. However, it doesn't strike the perfect blend of new plus old as something like Shovel Knight. Also, I know it's a silly complaint to level at a Castlevania game, but the story is surprisingly clunky. It goes, Zangetsu was out to kill all demons. Then he noticed a really big demon. Then he swore to kill all demons. All you needed for the old Castlevania games was Dracula is bad. Go to his castle and kill him to provide a context for your journey. But Curse of the Moon had me wondering where exactly I was headed as I progressed through the stages. Still, it's a a trip worth taking and I will most likely make it at least one more courtesy of the game's nightmare mode. It's not like I'll miss playing as Zangetsu. So yeah, we were talking before we started recording and I've certainly had similar feelings. I only finished Ritual of the Night yesterday. Taking the fiction as a whole, uh, I didn't feel at any stage hugely invested in the story of the game, i got to say. Like, I didn't, I didn't hate playing as either any of the characters in Curse or Miriam, but... I just the the whole there's you know there's a long sort of uh, there's cutscenes at the start of both games explaining the the lore of the fiction and but it never quite I didn't yeah it was it wasn't like repellent but it was just it it didn't whatever the mm. special hook to get you invested in a, a new game kind of IP it didn't quite take me there personally. I, no, yeah. I'd agree with that. There's nothing compelling particularly about the story. It's nothing that we haven't seen a million times before. And you really can just boil it down to, yeah, there's demons. Go out there and kill them. And yeah. really, it feels like the, the gameplay and the combat and the exploration are you know, by far the, the bigger part of this game. I think... Um, oh, it, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I, I found it interesting that they, they bothered to put in what they must have considered to be a full story with multiple different characters and stuff because uh it was ended up being so forgettable that less than a month after i finished it i barely remember any of the names of the main characters or anything um like that uh but i guess it's it's there for a purpose and it serves to have a twist at the end that you probably saw coming a million miles away but yeah it's I mean, it's it's not really that sort of game. I mean, Symphony of the Night is similar enough in gameplay, and the story there is just Dracula's bad. Go and kill Dracula and get up to some hijinks along the way. And this is basically that, but also more hijinks. Do some cooking. <laughs> I think. Did we mention that that that, that having David Hater, um, I uh, <laughs> AKA Solid Snake, uh, yeah. voice one of the characters was a different mm-hmm. stretch goal. So obviously they were proud of their cutscenes. I guess I played it in yeah. Japanese, so I didn't. Um, uh, I didn't, I'm so I didn't frustrated. <laughs> I only noticed that was an option at the end. And I didn't even know that not, was an option until right now. That's one wow. of the first things that I tend to check in a game. <laughs> it's a good. It's a good thing to check. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, in, in actually, a game like this, I should say, in a Japanese-made game. 
Sure, sure. I think they spent quite a bit of money on the voice cast because it's got uh, Fred Tatterscore, Kari Walgren, David Hayter, Erica Lindbeck is Miriam. So I think they actually went and got some of the... I've heard that it's not bad. I, I mean, and, and what I've seen in... in... Mixed. Yeah. yeah. I would say mixed. I would say that, like, it, it's not that the voice acting is bad. I don't think any of the performances are necessarily bad. It's just that there's not a lot to say. The little girl? Say. The little girl in the show? <laughs> oh, okay. Right? All right. Yes, yo, you're right. The extremely cockney little girl. <laughs> you know, yes, I yes, do remember seeing that. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that... Okay. Yes, for sure. I take that part back. But, um... <laughs> It no character, no character really has a lot to say at any given time. Um, what, what John was saying that I, I couldn't stop thinking about when I was playing this game is, you know, it always felt like a case of like these really cool environments and like really neat ideas for how to do some things with platforming and the genre and like different paths around shortcutting stuff like that. So it it feels to me much more of like, oh, I built this, I have this idea for this really cool library that has all these moving platforms and you're going to kind of go up this way, but here's an elevator and, and stuff. And then, and then after the fact, like, okay, now why does she have to go there? You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of felt like the story is very much an after the th afterthought to the actual mechanics and design of playing through these well-crafted, you know, kind of maze-like settings. The story wasn't a Kickstarter stretch goal, was it? <laughs> I don't <laughs> think the idea so. to even put it in there. Someone wrote it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that 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 would be that would be. Sorry, that's very rude. Very rude. Whoever yeah. wrote the stories <laughs> for this game, I apologise deeply. No, I, uh, I did not yeah. think that the story was bad. It was just kind of well, like Brian was saying, kind of um, not. I don't know that I would go so far as to say an afterthought, but it it wasn't. It was not the primary focus. And for me personally, I don't think that's ever really been the primary focus for this type yeah. of game. Yeah. Symphony yeah. of the Night is up there with my all-time favorite games. And I I mean, I, I know what the story mostly is, but... Just the bare bones <laughs> outline is enough, isn't yeah. it? Go Completely. to Dracula. Kill Dracula. Yeah. Also Shaft, yeah, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't forget uh -huh. Shaft. <laughs> I mean, at the end of that game, they literally just flip the castle on its head. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that, that game is, it, it's not necessarily about the story. It's like, it's like, Hey, all that stuff you played, let's just literally flip it upside down and play it again. And, and mm. yeah, it's much more about the gameplay for sure. I think then ah, and that's kind of the blood spirit. Stained, you're flipping the same castle. Yeah. Ooh, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> that is quite, that's quite uh, yeah, that I, I did like that twist actually on the, cause I was wondering, I was watching my map percentage creep up and the game kept on going well beyond where I thought it was going to end. There were at least three more areas and again, I think one of the stretch goals was biggest castle ever kind of thing. So <laughs> which they which they hit. And yeah, I got into the fiery place and I thought, oh, this must be the last stage because it's all fiery. And then you go through another dimension and then you uh, go into some oriental place and then some ice caverns. And I was thinking, blimey, there's there is there is more to this game than I thought. But the fact that for the last probably 25 percent of it, you have the ability to flip the entire thing whenever you want. Uh, well, you flip yourself, really, but I suppose it's just another way of looking at it. It's pretty neat. Mr. Ixalite continues regarding Ritual, says, As for Ritual of the Night, us, after a Castlevania marathon a few years back, I was pretty exhausted with not just the Egovanias, but also the Metroidvania subgenre itself. It was only recently that games like Ori and the Blind Forest and Hollow Knight turned this around, and so this podcast was the perfect excuse to see what a 10-year hiatus had done to the Igarashi formula. Right off the bat, it becomes clear that Symphony of the Night template has been replicated perfectly, as well as my overall issues with these games. The main one is that the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay of what I do in the castle is often not that interesting. Though the backdrops change, the actual level design doesn't vary much. 
There may be an occasional hazard, but navigating the areas is rarely that complex, and combat fares similarly, as I spent much time absent-mindedly mowing down demons with tried-and-true attacks, which is a bummer, because the thing that wowed me with Ori and Hollow Knight was that level traversal or combat, or even both, felt more involved and fun. It felt like a fusion of the Metroidvania format and the dexterity-based challenges of old-school platformers. However, Bloodstained has different things to offer. I can play the game with an acid green skin and a perpetual gas mask. I have a groaning little book familiar. Enemies can be disembodied dogheads. There's a vampire called Orlok Dracul. These games have an endearingly kooky wavelength all of their own, and for the first time ever, I even kinda like the story in a Castlevania game. And although it occasionally feels somewhat mindless, with progression being made for progression's sake, there's no denying that it is addictive. I just wish it took a few more cues from its level-based ancestors. I I agree with a lot of what Mr. Xlight says there, but I, I have to say that I, I do disagree with him when it regards to the combat. Um, I do too. He he was talking about how he, with tried and true attacks and mow through enemies, and, and that's true, I think, in the early going, but as you're collecting the demon shards, we've already talked about the, the shard binders, you know, kind of... Uh, you you get these crystals from time to time from and every enemy I believe I don't think there's any in the enemy in the game you can't collect one um where you kind of absorb and can use the, some version of their power and I was finding myself with different builds of shards for different situations like if there were aerial enemies versus you know there's those one enemies that are kind of like those mud enemies that use the shovel in the ground that I like mm-hmm. I never the literal get... shovel knight enemies shovel yeah. Shovel yeah. Knight. I could never get pa- yeah. I could never get past them without taking damage it felt like so I, I I changed my shard game up a little bit to kind of focus on some more ranged attacks so I could stay away from like I, I thought that the, and I'm someone like traditionally who like I normally find the way that I like to play the game and that's the way I play it like like every like 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 I go into every time I play like an Elder Scrolls game like I'm going to be a mage or an archer this time but nope the first giant two-handed great sword I find is the same one I use the entire time I just upgraded to okay. get the new version that's how I normally play games but this was completely different for me and I was finding myself switching out shards on the fly so I think the the gameplay and the combat hmm. resonated much more for me than it did for for Mr. Xlight one of the unlocks you can find a long way of shortcuts as well. So yeah, you can put yourself uh, multiple loadouts at, uh, well, not quite at a touch, but with a with a couple of button yeah. presses. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I agree with that. With 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 uh, all of the shard combinations that you can come up with and unlock, and also the fact that your the weapons that you can craft and unlock and find and and whatever uh they are pretty different um it it, it if you find a type of weapon that you like you're going to find i mean not not every single one is is going to play completely differently but i i kind i kind of mentioned at the beginning that i didn't really like the whip which you know that's an example of you know the whip mm. has a little bit of a wind up on it so you know if it, it does a lot of damage and you get some more range sometimes but you you have to you know it's a little bit of a trade off whereas if you have uh, a sword or a mace or um even a projectile weapon you you know it's a it's it is going to affect your playstyle uh and and you can if you if you work at it enough, I think that you could probably go through um, with just, you know, 
set one setup, one very powerful setup yeah, that you, I mainly if you did. just find the magical, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost literally magical um, uh, combination of shards and weapon that that you yeah. just find really work for you, then uh, you probably could do that. But I think you'd be missing out on some of, for me at least, what made. Uh, what made the game kind of fun, which is, you know, experimenting with those different setups and, and seeing yeah. what works in different situations. Very, all the, the RPG stuff. Yeah. And it, the game doesn't level with you at all, so you can very much grind yourself into an OP position if you want, uh, which I found myself overpowered at a few points in the game, but then you'd open the next area and then everything would be leveled up again. So it, it had that traditional jrpg ebb and flow about it yeah unfortunately you can't really do the opposite because lots of the later game levels are completely blocked away behind getting certain items and things like that you can't you can't just wander into an area where everything's way too difficult for you to kill no no uh normally the step up i found was uh was noticeable when you entered a new area Uh, but there were a couple in the mid game where yeah i think just because it's quite easy, and I'm sure I did this in Symphony of the Night as well back at the time, and maybe Aria of Sorrow as well, which is you when you're still learning the game, you seem to do a lot more, well, I do anyway, a lot more slowly going from one room to another, then going back to the previous room, and then, of course, you clear out all the enemies again because you can't help it. And if you're anything like me, you also whip every single candle or oh. lamp every <laughs> single time, yeah. and it still remains a pleasure. Um Although I did find that sometimes the hitboxes were a little bit pernickety in, in mm. Ritual of the Night anyway. But uh, yeah, but then towards the end of the game, yes, I definitely uh, had to pick my way through some of those later stages. And often uh, there were even a couple of points where I was desperately looking for the teleport room, which would get me back to the village so I could sell some stuff and get some more tonics and all that kind of RPG palaver. Uh, so yeah, I think overall the, the balance hung together quite well despite the fact that you can effectively break it and I've, I've watched a few little videos of people doing bosses and stuff because although i spent most of this game finding my own path i did find that to find the true ending i did have to look a few things up because it, it wasn't it wasn't that apparent it gives you a few clues if i didn't have a deadline i probably would have stuck with it but um, and some of the boss fights i watched some players online doing they were so horrifically overpowered like the the players just absolutely so you have the i can't remember what it's called but the 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 welcome company uh which is one of the y button uh shard painting thing isn't it yeah so i I use that a lot so you add paintings and basically they spin around you and cause damage and protect you a bit as well if they knock enemies back but the i watched somebody who'd probably maxed out that shard by chucking more and more shards into it and whatever else you do i I never quite got the balance by the way of the having multiple shards of the same shard versus the actual powering up your shards via different alchemy items i was i wasn't because each shard has a both a level and a grade yeah uh, i wasn't <laughs> entirely sure how they um just keep piling it on where were you doing this on your you... exercise bike <laughs> Uh, so this was some of the stuff that I started doing after I um after I uh got off the bike and was like okay well now I need to I now I'm going for the end of the game now I need to mm. to do a little bit more of of this yeah I I 
I, I won't say that I completely understand how that worked, but I do. I'm a sucker for crafting systems uh, normally. Yeah, powering um, things up. Yeah, so uh, there's, there's a lot of that in this game. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you can, you can upgrade, you can upgrade your, uh, your shards, you can upgrade your, um, your weapons and create new weapons and armor and you yeah. can cook things. You have your cooking mama mini game, I guess. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I, it's not quite breath of the wild, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. I also, I really like, um, that kind of added incentive to cook, um, being that the first time you make a dish and ingest it, you get a permanent stat boost. Yeah. Um, that was like, like I always, I engage with the cooking things. I, I was that guy who, you know, out of the three, 400 hours I've put into Breath of the Wild over a few people, it was like, I will just like throw five different things in the pot and see what happens. And I'm happy to spend hours upon hours doing that stuff. But the fact that by investing the time and finding these recipes and finding the ingredients, you would get permanent, upgrades to your character just made just gave me just the extra incentive to go through and just kind of scour every nook and cranny of the castle for you know to try to find some you know some heavy cream or whatever i needed for whatever recipe i was looking for mm. there's nothing better than mm. finding heavy found. cream in the attic of the um the oriental laboratory or whatever the, the <laughs> area was, was called um yeah speaking of heavy cream thankfully there is no encumbrance in this game it goes back to the <laughs> the old castlevanias because you can carry everything basically everything yeah that ever existed so yeah ritual of the night setting we're still talking about the setting a little bit imdb saying to increase the sense of realism eager wanted the setting to be an actual period in history an important theme for the game to him was a stronger connection between the world of fantasy and the world of reality he decided the story's location to be england who knew as it seemed like the kind of place where a demon summoning might have actually happened that's very funny to me <laughs> i don't know where they summon demons england i don't know yeah <laughs> i feel like the only clue to that was whatever the name of the the town was Aronville. where the castle would appeared could be otherwise i would have just assumed yeah. it was eastern europe somewhere yes. like you would expect these games to yeah. have taken place uh, Eager also did research into English history to see if there ever had been such an event. <laughs> what, if anybody ever actually summoned a demon and had a castle just implode? Uh, I mean, if you lived here in 2020, God. <laughs> True. you wouldn't think it was so unlikely. During this search, he read about the lucky volcano eruption in Iceland from the 18th century, which killed one third of the country's population, as well as 23,000 people in England who died as a, as a result of inhaling sulfur dioxide. In addition, due to thick to a thick haze that has spread to Europe, it was said the day as was as dark as night and the sun appeared blood red. For the game's story, Eager imagined this event to have been a murderous rampage by something inhuman and that the eruption of the volcano was actually a cover-up story. Huh. So yeah, we had a... We had an Icelandic volcano eruption, I guess it was about a decade it was ago. like 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And it stopped the planes flying, but apart from that, it wasn't yeah. quite No one as... could pronounce the name of the volcano. That's right. It certainly wasn't the lucky volcano. No, it would have been a lot easier. Uh, so the setting in uh, for Bunstein starts in England around the late 1700s, about two decades into the Industrial Revolution. A group of alchemists fearing its waning relevancy as science captures the 18th century setting try to warn against the world, losing faith. The alchemists then decide to summon demons to Earth. Miriam, as an orphan, is infused with the magic crystals that attract these demons, which sort of justifies the whole shard-binding doohickey. <laughs> However, Miriam falls into a comatose state, rendering her unable to be used as a sacrifice. However, using Jeebel, 
the alchemists are successful in summoning the demons. Having miraculously survived the ritual, Jebel decides to take revenge. Using his powers to summon demons, he destroys the alchemists' guild. After ten years, Miriam awakens, while at the same time, a demonic castle emerges from the remains of the alchemist guild. I mean... Sure. Okay. <laughs> Hey, hey, Iga, um, how does Miriam infuse, uh, like, you know, get these demons? Uh, when she was a baby, she had magic crystals. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there we go. Perfect. She yeah, was that's... in a coma for 10 years. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Because crystals. I thought I explained yeah, are... it already. <laughs> so this is the thing that, that gets me about the uh, the connection between um, Curse of the Moon and, and, um, and Ritual of the Night is, mm-hmm. uh, so in Curse of the Moon, they're all kind of just, bros right like they're they're <laughs> yeah. hanging out together and and everybody's cool and then i guess miriam goes into a coma at the end and then like 10 years later it's like she doesn't even really i, I guess they kind of try to address it um but yeah it i don't know it, it's it's interesting that they are connected in in that the characters are the same and you see the the character but like that 10 years in between seems weird to me. Like I, it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. I am not necessarily satisfied with the fact that just hand waving stuff happens. And then we come out and then we come out with ritual of the night 10 years later. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. It, I, I want to like it, but I'm not sure that I'm convinced. So there's some expositional and or flavor text to be found in bookshelves in the game, the archives, the journal of the unnamed alchemist. Uh, I'm going to completely fess up. I didn't even read these. I skimmed them. Yeah, I noticed that they them. were there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I noticed on they were more there. than one occasion. <laughs> pulling the journal out caused my Xbox to hard crash. Oh, I stopped doing it at oh, some point. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have any actual crashes, but I guess the game's been patched in between times uh, and updated uh, significantly actually with new modes and, and all sorts of business. Uh, so, yeah, but that's there. And again, I, I'm conscious that for those people who may have really bought into this new law, it might seem like we're all being quite dismissive, but if we didn't, if, if we, none of us were really smitten with it, we're probably just not going to disingenuously sit here and say how wonderful we thought it was. So like I said, I didn't but, think it was bad. I just didn't No, Sure. It just wasn't, compelling it enough for me personally to seek it out right. agreed yeah yeah and i don't want to sound dismissive of it either because i i'm like i'm like a huge fan of the final fantasy 15 lore which is which is just bonkers on all levels so like it just it's, <laughs> yes, it's a matter it of it's a matter of what like you know it's just a matter of preference i think and it's and it makes it yeah what what stimulates you yeah exactly and it makes it more difficult i think as as leah brought up a very good point is that you know having these two kind of games and like the one was just a stretch goal that they end up making this 8-bit game but end up being a really mm. cool thing but to also try to iterate on the story of ritual of the night with curse of the moon when they're kind of being developed at the same time it just it seems like a lot to try to make everything sync up you know right away like yeah. like it does really seem like the gameplay was the focus there so uh, that so that's why i think it just didn't really resonate you know with me yo if you mm. like final fantasy 15 lore we should talk later about final fantasy 14 <laughs> this is, this is, sounds good yeah. <laughs> 14. we've done that show even though it might be the perfect time to get into an mmo 14 sorry <laughs> yes anyway sorry continue <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so Miriam, the main character or the main playable character of the core game of Ritual of the Night, uh, described by Ben Yahtzee Croshaw, 
in his zero punctuation review as simultaneously under and overdressed. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. According to the IMDb, in early planning documents, the protagonist was male, but after some discussions about what would fit the needs of the American market and what the prevailing social climate was like there currently, they went oh, for a no. tough female character. They shouldn't have let that slip that that was the case. Can't believe they were pandering. Why um, not just hold your tongue? That's so pointless. <laughs> uh, quotes, a game with both genders is interesting. And Iga stated, I think having a female hero is more motivating to male gamers. And I think women would like to control a female avatar too. And also in those early drafts, when the hero was male, we were thinking to add a rival character who would butt heads and get into heated clashes with the hero due to differences in the way they saw things. Now that we've changed to a female protagonist and their enemy rival is male, the mood of those scenes will have to change too. You can't see it, but I'm face palming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why did he ever say any of this? Yeah, I don't. I, I guess he was asked. Yeah. It's interesting <laughs> that they not say it because for years you would say that if you were just to believe the the opinions of Twitter, for example, um, which is always mm. a terrible idea. Like, like you would think that like <laughs> making a fe- making a female character would like would anger a lot of the you know people like i you know like you know this isn't this isn't true to life this isn't the 1700s of england you know not historically yeah. accurate. but but the demon hunters were all men white yeah. men yes exactly <laughs> oh yeah exactly and they had goatees um but they uh, the thing that i i find even more i don't want to say disturbing that might be a little too much but like like more like face palmy like leah said about this statement is that like like like, oh, we think this will sell more, so that's why we're making, or like, this <laughs> yeah. might, like, appease some of the American, you know, social climate, you know, SJWs, if you will. And, like, and that, that doesn't, I, I don't, I don't like that as the impetus behind the choice. Um, it sounds like they were both trying to appease the, both, I mean, yeah. to, I hate to get into it, but both sides, as yeah. in both the, 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 the arch, we want sexy anime women in our game types, and the, we want more representation and strong female characters yeah, so they've exactly. managed to yeah. they've managed to please yeah. both or no one yeah, i'm not sure right and like like we we want we, we, that line i think having a female hero is more motivating to male gamers like what do they mean by that you know what i mean like oh, you I, want to protect her you know yeah so oh, don't even want, don't want to let her die yeah. it's a side a scroller tattoo. and it's quite zoomed out you can't really see her ass jiggling or yeah. anything like that i mean it's, uh, but it's, on the on the uh on the equipment screens you can definitely manipulate that model uh <laughs> but uh and, see well, i didn't even notice that leah this yeah, is just I wouldn't know. That speaks well, to listen, the kind of person priorities you are. I'm, I'm just saying uh <laughs> but but i i i i'm not I'm not naive enough to think that most games probably don't have this same type of discussion, at least along uh, oh, yeah. among their marketing people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it is it is a little bit tone deaf that maybe they put that statement out there. But uh, I, it's I don't see it as being a huge issue. What I think is really funny and what I like to uh, what I like to think happened. I have no idea if this is even a little bit true, but I, I like to think that some graphic designer somewhere is like, okay, they want a sexy lady fine we're just gonna put her in uh, a gas mask and a uh well, like, uh, like one skin. of our correspondents was saying yes and just a green skin yeah. and uh yeah we'll, we'll she can wear some goofy glasses and it'll be great santa hat <laughs> santa, yeah, santa hat, hat yeah like. i wore that for a while i know i mean yeah. listen i'm not kink shaming but uh yeah this is maybe, <laughs> and, and maybe a little sound, bit unusual yeah 
Yeah, I wasn't trying to sound like I, I, I it just th- this corporate speak for that stuff just kind of or like yeah, this, you yeah. know, like it really God, it just rubbed, it rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I like, guess this yeah, is when, partly, it, when it is surfaced, it does not come off in the ooh, best way. Yeah, this is partly what happens when you don't have a big studio, I suppose. Like you, you, you're working independently and you don't have people kind of saying, oh, I don't know, eager. perhaps you shouldn't. If it was still Konami, maybe they'd have filtered everything through the PR and through the people who are supposed to be trying to keep mm. tabs on what you should and shouldn't be saying to games media in 20 late (laughs) 2010s or whatever but i i would file this under ill-advised and crass rather than toxic right but yeah no i i I don't think that this is uh, and i think she's okay like i think she's yeah no if your metric for uh, for female characters being objectionable is how naked is the lady then i mean she's not that naked she's she's pretty pretty okay there are worse things you could play sure you can see her stained thighs which sounds worse than yeah, I mean, it feels again a little bit like a a casualty of the Kickstarter, where they may have thought, oh, if we make this statement about the fact that your playable character is going to be sexy, then we'll get we'll get more people backing it than people who will say, oh, I don't want that anymore. Mm. More about the visuals. So I really want we talked a little bit about the NES stylings of Curse of the Moon, but I'd like to talk about the graphics of the Ritual of the Night. So. Obviously, your experience may vary. You might have a PC, uh, you might have an Xbox One, or you might have one of the consoles in between. You might have the Switch version. And so your 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 actual experience and the way the game looks is going to vary quite markedly, I would say. So I was very conscious of the, the way that uh, uh, HDR was used in, in the Xbox One version. I was playing on an HDR-capable screen. And actually, I thought that added a lot um, to the depth of the image but overall i would say again visually i would say a mixed bag like it often felt to me like the whole thing looked like a weird diorama like a model rather than mm. it, it, i got exactly that yeah. same feeling that it looks like you're playing through a doll's house with yeah. uh, almost like resident evil style um what's the what's the word for it the pre-rendered backgrounds mm-hmm. then with everything everything that's interactive sort of moving out front. Yeah. I mean, I didn't dislike the way that it looked like that. It was certainly a choice. And there's a lot of footage of even, I think, very close to the release of the game. Earlier builds, yeah. Yeah, they put out a a statement saying that they were going to completely change it, Mm. maybe some months before because... It was, yeah. Yeah. They had another pass, as they say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah, for me, I would say overall the game is, I would just use a slightly wishy-washy descriptor of quite atmospheric, but I, I wanted it to be deeply, very immersively atmospheric. And for me, it just fell a little bit short with that sort of slightly weird, surreal model-like look that it yeah. had. But I did like some of the areas. I mean, it's almost like everything kind of had this like interesting like porcelain glow to it. Um and like it, like it very very reminiscent of the doll's house with John already said, but I I also think that it just there there seem to be so many different styles involved, and I I'm not right. sure. Like we talked about the Kickstarter goals for like enemy designs and things like that, but like you would go from I mean the s- scenarios in this game and and settings in games like these do tend to vary. Like you're in a snowy area and then you're in a lava area. You know that that's that's pretty typical. But there's normally some sort of visual language through line where you can kind of tell it's all part of the same universe. And and this game I didn't I didn't necessarily feel that way at all. And 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 even like the character design. If you just go from um if you just look at Miriam's character design 
and then you look at, at Gable or Gable's character design, and then um, the big bad who Dominique, da, like they they look like they might even exist in different like different universes a little bit. Like, and I just don't think that the visual language of any of it kind of ties it all together in a satisfying way. Um, the result of the crowdsourced nature of the maybe, development yeah. of the game, yeah. And I think, and I think part of that 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 does lend it to make it feel like you're almost playing with dolls or an action figure because each one would look a little different, like if you were like you know playing with these as a kid or something. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't. None of it really spoke to me in any real way. I thought it all looked quite good, just mm-hmm. just didn't necessarily all fit together. Um, like I said, mm. I still love those cats and dogs. I mean, they that literally laugh out loud <laughs> moments made me smile ear to ear. So it's like I like the way it all looked. It just sometimes it just didn't feel like. Um, I definitely like remember it. walking into a room with one of those cats for the first time and going, uh, <laughs> am I supposed to fight this guy? Or? Yes, you are. I did wonder about talking to, to them at first. Where's, oh, yeah. where's some the kind button? Of They're quite large. De- where's the button for deploy scritches? Because that's what I want <laughs> to do right now. There is that whole uh, stage later on, uh, the den, is it the Den of Behemoths, which, which is very much like uh, that world in Super Mario Brothers 3, yeah. where yeah. everything's giant. Slightly. Oh, but I what mean, if there yeah. had been a giant, giant cat? Or a Goomba. Uh, to, I mean, totally <laughs> video ga- totally video gamey. I mean, there could have been a Goomba. There were shovel knights in here. That's true. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was a, a key in a room called the Celeste Key. So, yeah. you know, they're kind of wearing their Kickstarter influencers and backers on their on their sleeves here. Very true. A lot of nods to other things as well as, yeah, games within the the genre and it, spiritual predecessors, but, but also elsewhere. But yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, obviously I came away just not quite one. I, I felt like that that late pass they did, the fam- famously they went back to the graphics and said, look, we're not happy with the way this is looking. So we're going to give it another, you know, another go and, and make it. I th- I'm sure it was worthwhile. And if you look at the comparisons, uh, I would say it definitely was. But I feel like. Maybe they'd Still already gone too far down. Away. Yeah, maybe they'd already gone so far down a path that they couldn't kind of back up. And the whole thing, I feel bad about nitpicking at it because the sort of it's sort of so amazing how it all came together and how well funded it was. But just trying to, re- if I'm just trying to review it without keeping that context in mind, just to say how much of a how much I enjoyed it as a video game, including its aesthetic qualities, I feel like it could have benefited from just some yeah some changes some some alterations in the art direction some maybe some more time maybe some more money maybe it just needed four times as much cash or something like that but yeah uh but overall as i say it it's i don't think it's ugly it's just it's slightly yeah slightly odd looking mm-hmm. <laughs> the little uncanny valley just the way that the two distinct right. styles are almost clashing with each other in a foreground background way it also has that kind of thing too, where like even sometimes the way the characters move, like 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 Miriam will, mm. will be running, and sometimes it looks like she's sprinting, but she's not really moving that fast through the level. And then the way the other yeah. enemies are kind of lumbering along, or kind of oozing up, or like appearing from the background, like it almost feels like everybody's moving at a little bit of a different speed too. Like it yeah. just it, it, it each piece seems to interact independently almost, to, so it, it just yeah. adds to that feeling of just not ever everything. At least for me personally, not everything working quite great Hanging together. together. This yeah, is gotcha. not oh, this is not necessarily an art direction thing directly, but 
did it feel kind of slow to anyone else? At least before until the, and, you'd got yeah, yes. until you got some power ups. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You can. Um, uh, you can definitely speed yourself up quite a bit, but by default, Miriam is, and I mean the the, the connection that I I'm making here is is the the Symphony of the Night comparison, which on yeah. one hand is maybe not fair, but on another hand they are inviting that. But like it, it Miriam to me feels slower than Alucard is mm. by default. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I, sure I about Alucard at the start. That's what I was going to say. I was going yeah. I I don't know how accurate that is. Um mm. because I, well, I, it just I I don't have a side-by-side comparison, no. but I I wonder if it is partially the art direction and the fact that there are uh kind of different scales like that for different types of characters and different backgrounds and things. I wonder if that feeling is partially due to that uh, and and you know not entirely mm. to the actual you know and speed i suppose they the also had sure and uh, and they had to bake in because they wanted to have crystals that make made mm. you go faster and and other things that made your attacks quicker and all that kind of yeah. stuff they had to kind of leave room for that to happen within this is why i think i particularly commented on how brilliant a job i thought that uh, the team had done uh, insomniac on marvel's spider-man because they made to me they made it feel like spider-man was absolutely awesome from the off mm-hmm. despite giving absolutely acres of space to get better in for him to get faster and stronger and more powerful and more capable whereas this game is more like one of those where you uh, yeah, I feel like you're deliber- almost deliberately well, hamstrung. Well, you've been in a coma for ten years, you know. Yeah, so, you, yeah her it, muscles it have atrophied. No wonder she's slow. That you know she's a little rusty. Yeah. But I, I don't yeah. know. It. Uh, I would be. I would be interested, and maybe I will look up after this some some comparison stuff to see. You know, if there is uh, that big of a difference, or if it's just me. Mm. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, so uh, I think the audio is pretty decent throughout the the sound effects wise. Um, again, it's something that I think could have easily f- fallen foul of being a uh, a less than AAA budget development, but I think they they did it pretty well. It it's evocative of the old Castlevania games, but also has yeah slightly more contemporary sound in that it, it's you know it's real sounds rather than digitally generated as such um music wise again rather like the visuals for me a mixed bag a few tunes i really really liked some of which are very much absolutely nods to pieces from previous games obviously Monsieur yamane worked on it and uh she's a veteran of the castlevania series um and a few pieces that i was less enamored with and heard too many times but overall mm um it was it's a really important part of this kind of a game for me and uh for the most part i enjoyed it yeah you're gonna pick on me leon because you've often called me a softy on a couple of these casts but music does it to me <laughs> music cues like like i could i could watch some some or it, some real life events can happen and i don't i don't get teary-eyed very much but like music can just hit me and when i first yeah. entered that castle and that castle theme swelled up and then hit like I just like like it was like one of those moments of, like goosebumps you know kind of the, of, of rush of water to the eyes like it just I'm felt jealous. right you know like beautiful and uh, I I just I love those moments and and you're right they don't happen all the time like I remember getting kind of in more like the second area I'm trying to explain it well where you're kind of um, 
you're moving on. You need to get the 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 access to the chariot so you can hop over that large gap and that, that's kind of like sewery theme kind of there. And it, it really it, that oh, yeah. those areas kind of fall flat a little bit or, or or at least are more forgettable. But then there's a couple different areas the um the 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 laboratory theme and and a couple of the boss battle themes are just like. They, they're mm. just so they're just wonderful. Um, so I've gone back and listened to the soundtrack a bunch over the last few weeks. And uh, there's some some of these great curated YouTube playlists where they just play the whole soundtrack kind of beginning to front as you would encounter it throughout the game. And oh, um, right. and uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting to listen to it. It's it's a it's certainly a soundtrack of up and downs. But the but the ups are for me quite high. This might be a good time to mention that Mikhail and I did uh, a sound of play special on the castlevania music um well not all of the castlevania music i believe we stopped did we stop at symphony i think we stopped at symphony um but uh yeah so i am pretty familiar with uh castlevania music in general and yeah this is this is one of the uh the games that i have played along with um time spinner which um I, I don't recall if we mentioned that in the Sound of Play special or not, but um, I, I, I believe that I might have chosen a track from it on a different Sound of Play that I was a guest on. Um, but uh, yeah, Time Spinner uh, was another kind of Egovania, although not directly involving Ega. But um, yeah, it... I think they're just called Metroidvanias. Sure, point. whatever. Uh, <laughs> but but yes, it was, it was very much a do. Symphony of the Night-inspired... Uh, game that had that same type of music that sounds almost like it could have been plucked from Symphony of the Night uh, specifically. And and I feel like Bloodstained does an even better job of that. Uh, and and as, as has been brought up, yes, there are some tracks that maybe don't quite wow uh, as much as, uh, as I would like, but overall... Yeah, I, I think this is a, a very good soundtrack, and I, I enjoy listening to it. John, do you get much out of it? Yeah, uh, I think the majority of what I really clicked with were the various pieces that sounded a huge amount like uh, remixed versions of um, Symphony of the yes. Night yeah. pieces. Because, I think that's I mean, fair. That's, yeah, there were a couple. I think the um, the lab at the beginning that's also... Uh, one of the very first areas in Symphony of the Night had incredibly similar soundtracks. Uh, and that's, I mean, Symphony of the Night is probably my biggest touchstone back to Castlevania. It's certainly the one that I've played more recently than others and more than others. So that, that got me for, for sure. And a lot of the, a lot of the sort of uh, almost ambient sounding music in the background in, in some of the, the areas like the, ah, uh, what was the, the waterway called mm, underground waterway <laughs> something that like might that be the one. <laughs> yeah that sounds about right yeah, i like uh, i like that piece as well i was i was wondering yeah. if brian and my favorite pieces might be quite different genres actually because yeah. i think maybe some of the the more sort of ambient ones were the ones i i got on with better whereas the more overtly like the rockier rockier guitar whaley ones did less for me but uh but it sounds like there's something because because as always with these it, it spans multiple genres. There's probably something in here for everyone. Sorry, John. Yeah, um, and it it all has its own place, and I think a, a lot of the themes felt very uh, natural and very um, you know well attuned to the areas that they were taking place in. So I mean, I enjoyed the entire thing. I did eventually turn it down and start listening to podcasts and stuff in the background, but 
I always wanted to hear the music, even if I had other things going on at the same time. Steve Norman from the forum says, Curse of the Moon is my second favourite old school Castlevania after Super Castlevania 4. I've played through it three times and I love the atmosphere, the aesthetic, the gameplay and the clever character switching mechanic. I think the atmosphere is the one thing holding Ritual of the Night back for me. It often looks, sounds and plays great, but throughout my very recent playthrough, I just found myself thinking I'd be enjoying it a whole lot more if it was in Symphony of the Night's skin, which still oozes atmosphere despite its age. Ritual possibly tries too hard for its own good. Hmm. Next up, we have And Then We Play from the forum, who says Bloodstained Ritual of the Night ended up being a much better game than I ever thought it would be. Exploring the castle was always a joy to me because regardless of what I spent my time doing, I always felt I was making progression. Whether it was gaining levels or new shards or finding skills that would help with traversing the castle, it was always a joy. The soundtrack was incredibly memorable, with a standout track being Towers of Twin Dragons. But what surprised me most about the game was the variety in combat and how fun it was to experiment with weapons and shards. I started one playthrough with a giant greatsword and ended it with a swift katana. And on a new file, I used speedy combat boots while throwing spears out of my hands. It's really fun and engaging stuff. Ritual of the Night might be one of my favourite games of all time. And without a doubt, my favourite game I own on my PS4. That's high praise. Yeah, did anyone play with a gun? So I got one early on and I tried it out and you have to have ammo and there's increasingly large types of uh, a large array of different bullets. But I, I felt like I, I quite like the idea, the concept of it, but I felt like it was going to be too much hassle. Did anyone spend much time with a firearm? I did not. Um, no, I was actually so small. I, I would use a dagger a lot. Honestly, I like getting in close and then backing up and using kind of my magic, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and kind of in and out. That was kind of my play style, but never much for the range stuff. Hmm. So I kind of felt like it was almost unnecessary to have guns included because so right. many of the shards that you get are tuned to be kind of your ranged weapons. Projectile right. weapons. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If you fight, there's a secret boss that you can, I, I don't know if he's secret, but a uh, an optional boss that mm. you can fight um, where once you get his shard, you can rapid fire chisels out of your hands, which oh, looks oh, that was so which good. looks ridiculous, but it's really yeah. effective. So, yeah. like, mm. I, I mean, I can't imagine a situation in which that I would want to be using a gun, especially a gun that has more limited resources. I mean, you're limited by your magic, mm. but whatever. Uh, over something like that, you know. Huh. Mm. If you're constantly trying to upgrade your weapons and um you know, create new food items and, uh, you know, build the different armor sets. I saw that the it constantly having to craft bullets at the same time would be detrimental to that yeah. impact. I mean, I guess it's all in how you want to play, but uh, for, sure. for me personally, I didn't. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. wasn't for me. Anyone go with? Uh, so I mainly went with katanas and swords, but I occasionally went to great swords and uh, had a little play with the whip. I had the same issues as you. Leah, anyone sort of clubs and spears kind of situation? I tried basically everything in the early couple of mm -hmm. areas mm. that you get to and gave everything a bit of its day in court and ended up settling on a greatsword, which then because you also start getting shards that are increasing the various different um, weapons mm. uh, skill that you use, I found it was easier to just stick with the one and then I knew I wanted to create more greatsword 
shards and do this and that and instead of trying to juggle Focus. between a bunch yeah. of different ones as it went Definitely. also i mean i found for the uh just purely statistical point of view that the great swords did far more damage than almost everything else yeah. and presumably that went down for dps at the same time mm. Mm. Yes, and I think I think that's a good point. You do probably want to focus. No doubt, there are some players like the ones I've probably seen clips of playing who have gone down the path of maxing out everything. I don't know if there's a level cap for the character. I think I was on mid forties by the time I finished the game. I don't know if it stops at fifty or ninety nine or something like that. It. I don't think it stops at fifty. I can't remember where I got to. Um, I want to say it was somewhere in the 70s or the 80s by right. the time I was finished. Hmm. Okay. It says, it says uh, yeah. level 99 with a plan to increase the cap, apparently. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not sure. Hmm. But yes, the... Uh, yeah, I mean, there are... Uh, can't be undersold quite how many different weapons and items there are in this game. I remember making, early on, I had the ability to craft a lightsaber effectively something mm, that yeah and it had yep. some kind of uh crazy uh item description that was all in code but i used that for about probably 20 minutes before it got overpowered by something else that i picked up and that's what i suppose that's always one of the things with rpgs in uh, of this this nature is that you think you've got this great weapon and then it ends up <laughs> not being uh all that all that hot after all and i ended up spending um so this is a spoiler. We've already given the warning. You do need to use a specific weapon in a couple of areas. You don't have to stick with it if you don't want to, but you need the, the Zengetsu sword to slice a couple of blood red moons open to open up the the remaining final stages of the game. And in the end, I didn't get anything else that was had the, the right balance or as good a balance of damage plus speed mm -hmm. as that i had some i had some weapons that would do more damage and perhaps some more elemental damage as well but i just i i liked the pace with which i could snap the zangetsuto around and and i had some already had some um perk crystals i don't know i can't remember what you called, called yeah there's just a different color right the um yeah the green or white yellow ones. oh yeah white yeah, there really is, white yeah, sorry. yeah. But I, Leah's absolutely right. So I picked up, and I think one of our correspondents talks about this as well. The the thing is, yes, I think it's quite brilliant, even if it was taken from older Castlevanias, but I think it's a great idea that every enemy in the game has a power drop, right? It's cool. It's fun. Uh, some of them drop them more easily than others, and some of them you'll need to kill quite a few before you get that shard shoved in your direction. But I picked up, I think it's called True Arrow very yep. early in the yep. game. I and used it for a long time. Yeah, yeah I just used it throughout mm -hmm. because <laughs> you could you you could you get a big spread on it and uh it took out a lot of things that were far far away from you with with one shot and again watching videos of other people playing I probably really could have done a lot better with optimizing my build with I've I've watched some people doing with these insane lightning attacks and fire attacks and all this cool stuff but there seems to be this yeah like like you were saying there's there's enough in there and there's enough flexibility within the systems to kind of be who you want to be in in the style of a good and flexible rpg i i would say i would take it even a step farther for my opinion and and say that it has a little too much in there 
Um, okay. Just not that I didn't appreciate it. I, I Like I said I, before, I had fun. I had multiple builds, which I normally don't do. I had a great time with it. But when I was thinking about like getting towards the end of this game, like, oh, maybe I'll go for all 1,000 achievement points or do this. And I just saw how many of these shards I was missing and how many things were available. And then I started right. looking at the recipes and other stuff. It just, there is, this game is is beefy in the stuff to collect without necessarily offering you a in my what in my opinion a satisfactory reward for collecting those things um and so mm. by like in the middle of the game i was all about it every trying to get a shard from every enemy i came across going back and forth through doors to respawn you know to try to get it uh, but by the end after i had sliced open the first moon and took the dimension portal like i was kind of at that point i was like all right let's 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 kind of let's let's get moving to the end here because i i felt <laughs> like it, it did overstay its welcome in kind of every aspect, and it doesn't mean that I had a negative uh, opinion of the game as a whole. Just like there is just so much of everything in this game to where I feel it got to be a little overwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true, and that again might be a bit of a, a sort of a stink of Kickstarter hanging over it. The fact that the castle was so massive, mm -hmm. and you know, was that potentially a Kickstarter goal that they reached when they hit was. three million dollars to add in? X number of extra areas and stuff. Eager's so, biggest castle. It's called that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's it certainly feels like um it was almost artificially extended in a lot of ways and having something like hundred and twenty different shards and it's it's the the very difficult balance that you strike of, you know, you get a handful of shards very early. You're almost uh, guaranteed to start upgrading those very quickly. And the first time you go to the uh the village if you've got some whatever the crafting material is and you've got your your one shard equipped you're quite likely to put points into it and you'll quite likely get a handful of ones from the early game that are similar and if you've got a you know a grade five and level five shard even if it's not the most amazing thing in the world if you pick up something that's at one and one it's a difficult mind uh sort of block to overcome to say yeah i'm going to switch out this thing that maybe will end up better in the future but right at this moment i'm going to be doing harm to my dps yeah for sure i i you guys were talking about true arrow um which was not one that i really used but i did use for a very long time um one of the fireballs that you get yeah. i don't remember exactly which one there's a few you know uh yes. that that are kind of similar but it's it's one of the very early shards that you can get and yeah i i powered that up to its maximum and used it for a pretty significant chunk of the game and it's like john was saying you know it's it's i i came into things that might have been better but since i've already put so much time and effort into this one you know i why go to something that might i might yeah. not like if right. i've already got yeah. this so i i did i did some experimentation but like the primary stuff that i that i had equipped i kind of always ended up going back to those there's an argument that they could have almost not had every single enemy in the game have an ability then and actually make it more significant when you found one hmm. rather or than having even, like not having the ability to upgrade or not to upgrade as much uh I, mm. I might i might have liked it if it was less a less a question of which shard is going to be the most powered up and more which combination do you like the most or you know if, if everything had a kind of similar power at its at its base and wasn't you know it would have been it would have been a different game then so i mean i guess it's not um it, it's not really uh 
a thing to to speculate on at, at that but i i don't know i mean it maybe I, it would have been i don't know that it would have been any better or worse but it might have been more conducive to switching things around and trying different builds mm. I, I will say, and Leanne mentioned this before, when I was watching some videos of, of like every boss fight and, and people kind of either speed running or just kind of maxing out their their attacks, I saw the one, you get it from the Shovel Knight character, where like their gem, just he just comes on the screen and like shovels a few piles of dirt and run off. And I was like, when I got that shard, I'm like, ah, this is, this is hilarious, but I'm never going to use this. But then I, <laughs> I watched this boss fight and the guy immediately inverts the room and sp- like spams the Shovel Knight guy and he's just dumping loads of dirt onto the top of the boss from above and kills him in like like 12 seconds i'm like well that's pretty brilliant yeah. you know like they it hmm. has those moments like and, and the, that ability for creativity for people a little bit more ingenious than me or more patient than me um to, to do so it's cool that it's there i just think for me it was just too much but but it is. that takes us very very nicely onto the subject of bosses uh all boss all bosses in previous egovania games can be defeated with the right strategy every designer and programmer that makes a boss should be able to kill it without being hit once this concept has not changed in bloodstained not even for a higher difficulty it's from the imdb again hmm. my experience was though that a lot of these boss fights I actually found in Ritual compared to the ones in Curse, which were very much of the old school, neat, learn the pattern, execute the pattern. You can see how you can avoid taking a single hit if you do it right, even if you can't execute on it. A lot of them in Ritual felt quite messy to me, but that's probably because I wasn't thinking about them hard enough and just thinking... I can probably survive this with enough spam spamming and a little bit of evasive maneuvering. I've got this many EX potions and, and high potions or whatever they're called, yeah. and I can get away with it. So again, that there's an argument that the RPG nature of some of these games actually uh, means that you don't have to have the same level of execution. This is the reverse of the whole uh, Sekiro situation where the previous Souls games allowed you to level up to to beat bosses whereas Sekiro says now you execute <laughs> yeah I, I i found i had two kind of gripes i guess with the, with some of the boss things is um for me i would play i played this game on an xbox one x and boss fights was the only place where i where i consistently had technical hiccups um, oh yeah i would have I had some p- slowdown on a yeah. gambling the big yeah, gambling the big, boss that, that was, was the worst one i mean single frames I on would the say, xbox yeah. one x i mean come on yeah it was it was really tough and i and i felt like where not tough tough in the sense that i felt like the game was was putting me in, in an unfair uh position um but i also um to, to i'm gonna out myself right now as a fake gamer um so to, to, <laughs> uh, to get all the to get, to get everybody mad at me again um for for the final boss, I was having so much trouble with it, um, and and just having trouble avoiding taking damage, to where I just went all the way back to the beginning of the castle, made about forty different plates of berry spaghetti, and then came back <laughs> and just and just ate the heck out of some berry yeah. spaghetti as I beat the final boss. Nothing it wrong with that. I, I legitimate. I, I, I beat it, but um. But yeah, there were some some of them where I felt like the, the design, uh, my experience went against kind of that that design philosophy that yeah. you just read. So I kind of, I kind of am up and down on that. I think they look, a lot of them looked great. They looked awesome, but um, I didn't think they were particularly well designed in such a way that I like found them memorable either. If that's honestly, I think that the, the first real boss that you get to was probably the one that gave me the most trouble, which is kind of odd for a game like this. You would expect the first boss to kind of be a, a training 
thing, you know? You would, like, but a lot of people yeah. have the same experience yeah, with Symphony of the heard. Night. Oh, was that the octopus yeah. at the end of the ship? Is that the, the booby tentacle? Oh no, thing. I'm sorry. I it, I guess it's not the first boss. Uh, the first boss once you get into the castle, the first thing right. you fight. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, that was difficult for sure. Yeah, that was really tough. Like I I did something similar to uh to what uh to what Brian you were talking about with the last uh, the last boss. I just I went back and I you know I didn't really level up so much as I tried to get as many healing items as I could mm-hmm. so that I could just survive through that whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that that was the one, that's the one that sticks out to me as being really tough hmm. when I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, yeah, the final boss I ended up doing just by, uh, yeah, making sure I had enough stuff with me and kind of hopping through the few rooms on the way there mm-hmm. to get there. And it did make me think, given that I hadn't particularly done too much grinding and and hadn't spent hours and hours optimizing my build you know i'd i'd spent a little i paid some attention to making sure i wasn't completely underprepared but uh, it did make me wonder that yes people must be just getting to these getting to the end of this game and just absolutely just breezing through it because i think with yeah with with time and effort you can you can definitely overpower yourself that said there are a couple of optional extras aren't there which i think are probably for the the challenge and yes there is also a nightmare mode so uh, you can move on to that if you want more of a challenge i assume you can't just out level yourself for that uh, there is a secret boss in fact called Iga, voiced by koji Iga igarashi he recorded dialogue for both japanese and english for that this i believe was um an extra downloadable thing that mm-hmm. i got because i was looking at the um oh. the list of ready Free, to install though, stuff on I my um oh. yeah maybe something to do with kickstarter backers or maybe just hmm. a, a thank you to everybody but yeah, it was it was sat there on my ready to install list this thing that oh. was called eager's backpack <laughs> and i didn't know what it was and i think it pops up as a um a revenge quest from the woman who's um trying to get you to go and kill various different enemies. And I got it the really monsters. early. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> kill those murderers dead. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I didn't... It was on my quest list from super early in the game. Uh, I had no idea what it was. I didn't even check uh, the downloadable s- situation, but I did notice that even at having finished the game uh, with the true ending and having got 98.7 map completion, I still had two of those to complete. So I assume they must be secret optional enemies they were like one kill one of this so i assume they were bosses or something uh, there's also three keys that are yes. linked to specific rooms and i think at least in one of those cases you find the room very early and then don't find the key until yes. close to the end of the game i believe yes. one of the keys still doesn't actually do anything if i'm remembering that correctly Oh. Or, or one of the rooms does maybe maybe it's the key does something but the room there's nothing in the room i i, hmm. I don't there's something there is one of there's one thing i know um that i i, I want to say it's actually the celeste key that doesn't actually like you can unlock the room but there's nothing in it um i think one of those huh. keys is the one that leads to the the boss with the the chisel that i was talking about right yeah um, one of them's the carpenter one of them is the boss that's a um a casino one-armed yes. bandit mm-hmm. machine 
and the other one might be the one you're talking about, the Celeste one. And if it if there's not a boss in there, there might be something else. Like um, I think there's just like a portrait there's... or something that you can like look at, but there's no actual gameplay stuff. Stuff. There might be an item or something like that hidden away in there because there's there's also a room that's I think quite well hidden near um near the top of the castle where you can go into it, and if you do something, it starts the little eight bit section of the game. Ah, uh, yes. I don't think that I'm not sure if that's related to the keys or not. Um, It might be. No, that's uh, just a hidden area. Yeah, definitely. Um, Also, uh, to update on what I was saying about the DLC, the EGA DLC is paid, but there has been further free DLC uh, slash updates uh, where you can play as Zangetsu. And that includes the um, the ability to use the uh, randomizer uh, function. Yes. Which I have not messed with. They did announce as part of the Kickstarter, that they were working on something like 13 pieces of DLC. That's right. And I don't know if they've all been released mm. yet or exactly what they are. The randomizer mode was definitely one of yeah. them. Well, yeah. with what happened with that was that was a late change. So the plan was, early in the Kickstarter and development, was to, in fact, make the game such so that it could have a rogue-like procedural generation uh options so it would effectively work like rogue legacy or dead cells or something like that in that uh it would bolt rooms together and areas together in different ways each time you started it up however uh, very late in the development they realized that their systems just weren't you, you kind of got to, but i think you have to build that from the ground up bake it in from the start so in, that's how the item randomizer came about they they changed out the the goals but i don't i don't think there was too much outcry about that i don't know but uh yeah obviously item randomizer changes your your route through the game quite dramatically and significantly there's a speed run mode in which they employed uh, somebody called rom scout speed runner and castlevania fan showed eager during a live stream how to glitch through symphony of the night and gave the developers great feedback on how to make Bloodstained more interesting in terms of speedruns. I think he's the guy that I've seen do blindfolded runs of Symphony of the Night, which is freaking (laughs) wild. Like, that's... (laughs) Yeah. I I have definitely heard that name. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Talking about sort of little oddments, things that suggest that even after all the updates and the DLC and the finish, the fact that it's been finished for a year and, and whatever else, there were still a few things that, although I didn't have any crashes, there were a few little bits and bobs, just, yeah, performance glitches, even on the Xbox One X. There was a room, talking about rooms with nothing in, there was a room in the frozen area, in the very final area, which is just a completely squared off, single blocked off room with n- literally nothing in it. <laughs> Unless there was a cutscene in there that I kind of didn't clock, and that's what it was for, that's possible. But the other bug that I saw most common, apart from sort of frame glitches on the outside the tower climb bits, which, again, for the Xbox One X shouldn't be happening, but were some of those where you kill a monster and then it kind of goes, the the entrails of it kind of start spraying off everywhere in a bug bugged fashion not in a this is deliberate but like large sort of long stretchy bits of polygon kind of clinging to the edges of the screen and stuff like that so a few weird visual glitches and bugs but nothing ruinous yeah uh, i think i saw a few free i i played on a ps4 pro and um i think i saw maybe a few frame rate drops with yeah. uh, some of the more graphically complex areas but nothing i i never ran into any crashes or major bugs um, um it was pretty minor 
I had a I had a pretty what I thought was a funny bug um, that every once in a while my weapon would become invisible. Ooh, no, um, fun. Yeah, so <laughs> it like, was an invisible sword. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was uh yeah, so like it, it was it was primarily interesting when I had like a longer weapon at the time, but when I had a dagger, sometimes it was a little frustrating because I wasn't sure how close I would need to get in. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was it was ve- it seemed to be very random. I it would it wouldn't stick to one weapon. Sometimes if you close the game and reload, it would it would go back to normal. But that that and the frame rate dro- frame rate drop, excuse me, during boss fights were my two major issues. I assume the game is now completely done and dusted. I assume we're not expecting any more updates. Forgive I don't me know. The, uh, the one with the randomizer was pretty recent. It was earlier this year, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was March 2020. We're now in... Yeah, that's true, actually. It's only... Mm. It's only the game's two. still only been out for a year. You look at um, yeah, other sort of famous Kickstarter yeah. um, affair, Shovel Knight, that has been... Yeah, that's true. Basically, they made that Seven game years. five years ago, and it's now that, well, yeah. finished it five years ago. Yeah. And they've been releasing content on it forever. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Castle 2 coming, maybe. Who knows? Uh, Toon Scottoon says, in January 2020, I played two games by noted design teams on my Switch. Both games were in familiar genres and both games brought me joy. Neither felt like it broke new ground and neither showcased the graphics of the hardware I ran them on. But five months later, only Bloodstained Curse of the Moon sticks with me as a short, joyful, monster slaying mess around. While its counterpart goes mostly forgotten, save a few cool power ups and a character design I found gauche. Both games have merit, but the fun of acquiring the full cast of fighters in Curse of the Moon, and then flying, floating, and filleting my way through levels meant to mirror those found in Ritual of the Night just got under my skin and into my bloodstream. It was a good reminder that you don't always need a full symphony. Sometimes you just need a nippy little pop song that makes you want to do the dance macabre over and over again. I really do think we had, although we definitely had some some really fulsome and fine praise for Ritual of the Night, I think we did just about have more essays of love for Curse of the Moon, which I can't imagine when they were putting this Kickstarter together they thought would be the case because they didn't even know they were going to make the little uh, the 8-bit, 8-bit style precursor. There's something refreshing about the focus of that game. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very yeah. narrow in its scope, um, and and it does the thing that it's trying to do quite well. Um, and I just think that there is, and we already we talked about it at great length, but there's just so much going on in Ritual of the Night, which is great that there's all those options there, but it's a little it's a little hard to focus. It's you know it's 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 it's, it's lacking a little. It, it could have used a, another editing pass maybe, or in my yeah. opinion, yeah, it, just tightening up a little bit. Mm. It's, yeah, I mean, the, the comparative Curse of the Moon is just this nice little bite size. Maybe took me an hour, an hour and a half to play through it the first time compared to Ritual that is easily 20 hours long, even if you're just focusing on as much of the main quest. Mm. So it's it's a very different thing. And I could imagine, you know, something like Curse of the Moon playing it handheld on the Switch just being, you know, a nice little thing to do while you're traveling or something like that. Whereas Ritual, you need to sink your teeth into more. Mm. We also have reviews that are much shorter in just three words from Twitter. Follow us there and on other bits of social media. Brian. Porig about Curse of the Moon says two hours long. Toon Skatoon says fun gothic fan service. Oodles Odim says a true sequel. Eric Mickles says nightmares a dream. Wrong Gifts says the symphony's encore. 
And uh, Fernando Antunez says, long live Eager. Excellent. Thank you very much, everybody. We had a few more that arrived too late, unfortunately. So to summarise, Curse of the Moon, Ritual of the Night, not Symphony, the Bloodstained Duo. Uh, yeah, maybe we've jumped the gun here a little. If there is more to come from the, the Ritual of the Night package, then, uh, I mean, it's unlikely we'd revisit it someday. And I will say as well, people that have enjoyed this show, although we have done Castlevania Symphony of the Night in the past and uh, Lords of Shadow, we have definitely not ruled out going back and picking apart the individual Castlevania games, either 2D or 3D. But obviously, again, it would be a bit of an undertaking. Of course, since we did those shows and since the Bloodstained Kickstarter happened, we've had the rather nice collections from Konami, uh, the Contra and Castlevania ones. Castlevania is pretty, uh, pretty comprehensive in some ways. So, yeah, we might return. But for now, um, hmm. I don't really know who to go first. I think we're all in coming from a similar place. I can take it. Okay, go, John. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think we've spent quite a lot of time during the course of the podcast talking about the things that didn't really strike us that well with the uh, main, mainly Rich. I mean, I think we're all fairly fairly uh, uh, high on the, the little sort of bite-sized curse of the moon. Um, but... I will say, aside from lots of the little slightly annoying things about it that I found uh, being taken a little bit out of it by uh, suddenly there being portraits of very 21st century looking hipstery type men with beards and goggles and stuff in the middle of a gothic castle and uh, it fully um, fully realised animals and that sort of thing. Um, I I found actually playing through the game was a huge amount of joy to me and I, I did enjoy it uh, probably more than you might have guessed from <laughs> previous comments <laughs> um it's it's not really unfair to say that I played this about a month ago and you know we're all probably aware that in May 2020 the world has not been in the best of positions and maybe spending six days and 40 hours or something like that, just sinking into a, a gothic fantasy world was a bit of a, you know, a, a fun retreat from having to think about reality. Maybe that was why I enjoyed it as much as I did, but either way, um, the visuals uh, in some respects sort of jumped out of the screen to me. And I, I did quite like the duality between the foreground and the background as much as it, it has its problems. Uh, most of the music I found fairly spot on and, it could have been a bit tighter. It could have been a bit shorter. There could have been a little bit less of the, what I not unfairly, I think, refer to as like stench of Kickstarter hanging over the game. But for what it was, and especially for something that I didn't ever pay a single penny for, I'm not going to complain about it. So if you've got access to it, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, you might like it. You might be frustrated with it, but it's it's well worth playing it. Thanks, John. Yeah, despite a few, I agree, a few rough edges and things that perhaps could have been a little bit more polished and just visually there's a version in my head which is absolutely glorious rather than nice. And despite that, I've yeah, there's not been a really a, a time throughout the, I guess, 25 hours over the two games that uh, that I haven't had fun with this. 
also i think if you play one play them both because it's a it's a really nice sort of posthumous education on what both the 8-bit and well later i suppose castlevania games were like they have such uh, so many similarities between the two the the core fundamental moment to moment of hopping from ledge to ledge and uh, swiping or slashing candlesticks and lamps to to get items to fall out of them uh, and screen by screen hacking away at demons and all that sort of thing but the key differences are as we talked about the the first game is a uh, an, a linear eight level progression whereas ritual of the night is a set in a sprawling castle that requires you to go back and forth lots of backtracking lots of grinding if you want it and uh side quests and all that kind of thing and yeah if you I think we have been absolutely spoiled and I think there is a glut probably in the industry of Metroidvania and related games at the moment. But uh, but I still think Ritual of the Night has something to offer. It it probably is a bit of a throwback in some ways, the way it plays compared to maybe some of the, the more contemporary examples that don't have that legacy. But uh, there's still a lot of charm to it, I think. And um, so, yeah, I would recommend it, uh, even though I've only accidentally paid eight pounds for the entire experience if you don't include <laughs> xbox ultimate subscription but yeah um well done uh, here's to more successful kickstarters um it proves that they can if not you know i, I think ukulele disappointed a lot of people mighty number no. nine was kind of a bit of a car crash this one and a few others have shown that it can be a way of producing games that make the fans happy and i suppose in the modern development climate that's uh that means that it is proves that it's a viable way of doing things so well done yeah uh leah so i think i can comfortably recommend both of these games to anyone who already is a fan of the genre and by the genre i mostly mean castlevania games but uh you know similar games as well I think I think if you played one, you tend to have played the other as well. Um, I I personally, um, as, as I've mentioned before, I Symphony of the Night is among my favorite games of all time. And uh, while I don't think that either of these games necessarily gets quite that high on my personal list, I did really have a good time with both of them. Um, I agree with the sentiment that if you're going to play one, I would definitely recommend that you play both. I played uh, the first one first and the second one second, um, and and I th I think that that fit well. Um, seems like maybe uh, some other people did the opposite, and uh, while I I don't know. Uh, I, I can't know uh, whether that would have been the, the right order for me. Um, you know, I, I, I think the important thing is that you get both of them in there. Uh, mm. if, if you decide to uh, to sink some time into these, uh, I think that I'm going to go back to this one. Um, probably Polish off the to platinum? Maybe, yeah. Um, it it kind of depends. Uh, like I said, I have I have a lot of grindy stuff to do if that's what I want to do. Um, but there is also uh, new content to be had. Uh, what with the randomizer, uh, I I think that might be something I I could enjoy. Um, I'm not always the the biggest fan of rogue likes or rogue lights, uh, but I I have had a few of them, uh, notably in recent times, that have really grabbed me. So. Um, 
I, I might at least give that a shot. It is free DLC anyway, so uh, if I don't get along with it so well, then I don't have to continue. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, in, in, in total, I, I guess what I would say is um, basically the same as, uh, as has been said by John and Leon, which is, yeah, if you have access to this, I, I would say give it a try. And I think that a lot of people will, so um, will have access to it, that is. Uh, so uh, yeah, I have enjoyed my time, uh, intend to spend some more time on it in the future, and uh, I recommend that others could, uh, could benefit from doing the same. Thank you. Let's conclude with Bloodstained Brian. Uh, Leon, do you have a fancy British way to say ditto? <laughs> no, we just say, well, we say it with where you can hear the T's a bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to be brief cause I, I really can't say anything that the three of you haven't said, um, that, that it informs my experience on the game. Uh, what I will say though, is that I really appreciate all the things that this game tries, um, it tries a lot of different things. I don't think that all of them are wildly successful. Like I said before, I do think the game is bloated in spots, but it tries a ton of different stuff. And I think it's cool in a genre that we have seen so many games come out in this Egavania, Metroidvania genre that it just it's so easy for a lot of them just to become lost in the shuffle. And there's some really good titles in in that genre and that, yeah. that haven't maybe been looked at by everybody. Um, I think Bloodstained is one of those. I think that... If you were to get this and Curse of the Moon and playing them together, I think that it, if nothing else, it's a really fun time. Um, I don't think you're going to be thinking about the story afterwards. I don't think it's going to stick with you necessarily from a narrative perspective. But I do think that that while you are playing this video game, you'll be having a fun time playing this video game. And based on that <laughs> alone, I would recommend it. Um, I think that it's it's a really cool product that does a lot of really interesting things. So if you're just, if you've already listened to all this, this podcast and, and listen to the end, I'd say absolutely give it a, give it a go, especially um, considering it, you can, you can probably get it available now on different services and stuff uh, for relatively uh, less expensive price. So yeah, give it a go. It's funny. One of the first bits of professional editorial advice I was given when writing reviews was, can you remember actually to say if it was fun or not <laughs> and <laughs> thankfully brian brian did that at the end because i think this podcast sometimes uh is is possibly uh, a massively long extended version of me forgetting to say whether a game was fun or not <laughs> just talking about everything else yes it was fun it gets the uh, the two good. thumbs up fun experience yeah. bloodstain 64 coming in 2021 <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would play that <laughs> If the Super Metroid team could do something like this in 2020, I would be very happy. Mm. <laughs> That's going to get Kai out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so it remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, John and Leah, as well as our correspondents and to you for listening. And to tell you that next time in issue 423, we're going to be talking about Batman Arkham Knight. <laughs>